invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath your chair you're sitting in or close to you. And as you're looking for your Bible and turning there, would you stand with me as we honor God and reading His Word together? Matthew, and it's chapter 17. And I'll begin reading at verse 14. Matthew chapter 17. And I'll begin reading at verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it'll move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And, will be, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Let's pray together. As hurricanes move toward the coast of Florida, Father, we're reminded that you're the sovereign God. So, Father, we ask that this morning you would be with those in the, who are anxious about this storm that's moving their way. We don't understand why there are storms and different things going on like that. But Father, I pray it would be a means of folks remembering that there's a far greater disaster coming when the day of the Lord takes place and your wrath is poured out upon those who don't know you. So may we look at the eye of the hurricane or the death of a friend or whatever it is we're experiencing. and Help us, Lord, to see your grace, your sovereignty, and your goodness. Lord, lead us to the cross and lead us to the rock that is higher than I. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. In this story, we're... I think, it's a, I think it's a hard passage of Scripture. And the reason I, I believe it's hard for us is because of what Jesus says to the disciples when they say, when the disciples ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast the demon out of this boy? And Jesus says, because of your little faith. If you have enough faith, you could move mountains. Then the question becomes to our mind is, 
then if we don't see great things happen, when, even if we pray about it, then we must have not had enough faith. And certainly there's many people, many supposed Christian groups anyway, will take a passage of scripture like this and run off into the name it and claim it um, heresy, which says, I believe it's going to happen and it's going to happen. If I just speak it, it's going to happen. And there's no truth to that. It's false. What God says is going to happen. The only one that's going to say something that's going to happen is Almighty God. You understand that? And nothing will happen outside the will of God. And that's a very comforting thing. It can also be a very complex and troubling thing when we think about a lot of things that happen in the world. So, um, Monday, I went to St. Louis, had a meeting in Springfield, so I kind of went the long way to go to St. Louis to see Miles Paris. I didn't know Miles or his mother, but uh, I prayed with some students here at the church one Friday night, and we know some and just know some kids upset have been praying a lot about the situation. And, and as I was driving to St. Louis, I, I was studying, I was thinking through this sermon because I knew this is the passage that's going to preach this Sunday, next passage in Matthew. And, and uh, walking in the parking lot at the Children's Hospital in St. Louis, per, com, just conflicted in my own spirit. You know, do I have faith that God will heal Miles Paris? And now looking back, did I have faith? that my God would heal miles. It, it greatly affected my prayers this week because I prayed much more even when I was privy to the news that he'd be taken off life support. Still prayed even then, Father, you can still do the miraculous. And we should pray that way. We should believe that God can do anything, but, but to demand that he does or to say that we determine whether or not he does that based on something we do is, is a very dangerous doctrine. Nevertheless, there is a real responsibility that God places upon us as believers to have faith. And, and so to simply say all of that and without going back to the text here is to bypass what the text says. Jesus does say to the disciples, it was because of your little faith. And when he uses the word little here, he's not necessarily talking about just a little tiny bit of faith because if you notice in the next passage of Scripture where he says, if you had faith like a mustard seed, a grain of a mustard seed, a tiny bit of faith, quantity, you could move mountains, right? So it's not necessarily tiny faith, it's poor faith, a poor quality of faith. Three of the disciples had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what they see on the mountain is the layer of flesh sort of being pulled back, so to speak, and the divinity of Christ shining through. And they can see this is God. This is the Son of God. But nine of the disciples are at the foot of the mountain. Do you see them down there? And there's a man bringing up his son who has being afflicted by a demon and has been for some time. And the man's begging the disciples. You see him down there and the disciples are trying to cast out the demon apparently. 
In Matthew chapter 10, it says that they'd been given authority to cast out demons. But they're unable to. And the crowd begins to argue with them. And all, all of a sudden, Jesus and the three come down, James, Peter, and John, come down from the mountain, and the man runs up to Jesus and says, Lord, can you heal my son? If you read in Mark chapter 9, you'll find out the father says, can you, can you heal this? Lord, I believe you can if, if you can. Jesus says, if I can, to paraphrase, and the man says, and you'll remember this from Mark chapter 9, Lord, help my unbelief. So his own disciples weren't believing. The crowd was unbelieving. This father was unbelieving. The quality of the disciples' faith was poor and powerless as a result. There's a quote from a, a man named Henry Varley. To, it's attributed to D.L. Moody, but it was actually something Henry Varley said to D.L. Moody in 1872, popular quote you've probably heard before, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man fully consecrated to him. By God's grace, I want to be that man. That, that quote greatly impacted D.L. Moody. It's something to process, and I think about that when I think about the fact that when Jesus says to the disciples later something about their little faith, and if they had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, they could say to this mountain, go over there, and it would go over there. Then I think, about this quote. What, what could God do through one who's fully consecrated to him, fully committed to him? And in one sense, you can't be a believer if you're not consecrated to him. If you're not willing to take up your cross and follow him, you've, you're committing your life to him. Yet, in this sanctifying process we're going through as believers, carrying our cross, we sin, we have doubts, we find ourselves not committed in prayer as we should, presumptuous about what we can do for the Lord. But I, I wonder this morning, if our faith was stronger than it is, just what could God do through you, even through our church family? Well, the main point of the passage of Scripture, it seems to be, is if we want to be used of God to extend God's kingdom then we need to repent of our poor and powerless faith. We need to assess our faith in Christ. And if we find it lacking, and folks, we will at some level, then we need to repent, turn from our poor and powerless faith in whatever way the Lord has convicted us of. Hopefully, in the course of preaching this sermon, you can also be encouraged that perhaps your faith is stronger than perhaps you realize. Sometimes we're our worst critics, and I think the older we get as Christians we actually see more sin and become more sensitive to the sin in our life. Nevertheless, we need to repent of our poor and powerless faith. And so in this passage of Scripture, when it comes to repenting of our poor and powerless faith and being used of God to advance His kingdom, because that's what we want, then there's two Christ-centered convictions where that's going to begin with. If we're going to repent of our poor and powerless faith and be used of God to extend His kingdom, it begins with two Christ-centered Convictions. The first one is this. A Christ-centered conviction we must have is this. We have no intrinsic power. We have nothing internal about us. In the flesh, that's powerful. We have no intrinsic power. Our problem is fake news. 
We hear a lot about fake news, don't we? And the media spin on things. And each media outlet accuses the other of fake news, really, and of putting their own spin on things and of distorting and twisting the truth about something that's happened and accusing the other side of perverting the truth. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to the disciples here. He says to the crowd, really, but the disciples seem to be part of that. Notice what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? O faithless and twisted generation. Why does Jesus say that about the crowd? He even says that to the Father who's coming. He, and it seems as if he has the disciples in mind as well because the disciples have such little faith that they're somewhat, to an extent, indistinguishable from the rest of the world. God forbid that our falling of Jesus would be indistinguishable from what the world believes about Christ. So the world, Jesus said, had this fake news, this twisted news, this, their own spin about who Christ was. They were an unbelieving generation because they still weren't yet convinced about who this Jesus is. They hadn't seen what the three just saw on the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus told them to be quiet about and don't tell anybody. They saw a man in flesh. Even the disciples themselves, still little in faith, weren't convinced yet about the truth about who this man was that they were following. They would be, but not quite yet. And so one of the things that we need to be reminded of is we think of ourselves and be reminded of this conviction we need to have that we have no intrinsic power. And so we think about the fact that we had, they, they, they hadn't seen what the three had seen on the mountain. Folks, we are in constant need of prayer, constant need of gazing upon the glory of Christ through prayer and in the word of God. The way that we behold the glory of Christ is not seeking out some mountaintop experience. But it's to simply be faithful to be in the word of God, to pray, to meet with your church family like you're doing this morning around the word of God, gospel-centered singing as a means of us beholding the glory of Christ and being reminded of who God is, who Christ is and what he has done. We must go to his word, go to the Lord in prayer, and we must go to church. so that we don't have a distorted view of who our Savior is, that we begin to doubt who He is and what He is able to do. And also, perhaps be a little too confident about what we can do without Christ. So, as we assess the condition of our own faith, what we need to do is confess the condition of our faith. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples here. He says you couldn't do this because, in verse 20, if you look at it, because of your little faith. We need to confess the condition of our faith. In Mark chapter 9, the father had come and said, Lord, help my unbelief. Maybe that's what we need to say. As we're seeking to advance God's kingdom or wanting to see fruit in what God's called us to do on our mission fields, maybe it simply begins with coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I've not been in your word like I should to behold your glory. The reason I'm, not, I'm having doubts or the reason I've not been serving you more uh, faithfully than I have been is I really, I've really not taken advantage of the means of grace. I've really taken my church attendance for, for, for granted. My small group attendance has just been, you know, when I feel like it. Um, 
my reading of my Bible has been a lot better at times. My faith is weak. My faith is poor. Sometimes maybe going back to that quote about one person being committed to God, the world's yet to see what one person can do through that. Perhaps part of the problem at times our faith is weak is that we're really afraid of failure. Now the disciples here, you notice it, it seems as if they had attempted to cast out the demon. It's not as if they were afraid of failing and didn't try to cast out the demon. They'd been given that authority in Mark chapter 10 and it says here they had tried to do it and now they're asking why couldn't we do it? So they had tried. Sometimes we don't even try to do things for the Lord. We say that's, that, that's just too much or that, that person's just beyond help. And our faith is weak in that sense. So this week I was home. I go home during uh, lunch, try to each day, not every day. And my wife's doing an ex a science experiment with my kids in the kitchen. And that can be a hectic thing with four kids in the kitchen doing a science experiment. And they wanted me to cut a piece of wire so that they could do an experiment. So I went to the garage and got, a, got this piece of wire out. I brought, I brought a piece of it and cut this piece off. And one of the boys that saw me the other day hook up something to a, a battery to jump it off. And I said, don't ever get the, you know, the cables together. If it's connected to a battery, don't get the other ends of the cables together. They'll spark and everything and scare you. And so I was holding this wire up like this and and, uh, and one of my boys said, if you touch this, is it going to electrocute you, shock you? <laughs> Just this? I said, no. It's got to be hooked up to something. If, if you just touch this and it's not hooked up to any source, it's, 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 it's useless, really. And so I took this yesterday. I want to bring this with me this morning. I hung it around my mirror and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to leave that on my truck mirror for a while, twist it around my mirror like this. Just to remind me, or I'll put it like this for you, to remind you, okay? There you go. Uh, just to remind me when I'm driving down the road that I can't do anything unless I'm connected to the Lord. I have no intrinsic power. And the reason I say that is because these disciples, perhaps their problem was not just that they didn't believe Christ could do it or weren't sure about Christ, and I think that was part of the issue for them, even though they'd seen the Lord do great things. But also, they'd been given this authority in Mark chapter 10 to cast out demons, and perhaps... Perhaps it had become old hat to them. If you can imagine it being old hat to cast out demons. Well, come on out of there, demon. I got the power. I don't know. Maybe this was part of the issue. You know, we'll cast out that demon just like we've cast out demons before. Now, that's the, the Bible don't say that that's what was going on in their hearts and heads, but I wonder if perhaps they were presumptuous about their own ability. And if that's the case... A twisted, a distorted, perverted, fake news faith would be one that's presumptuous about its own derived power, forgetting where our gifting comes from. I thought in application this morning, I've been preaching for 25 years. I could probably stand up next Sunday and preach from this pulpit and not study any at all and not pray any at all and preach from a passage of scripture and probably do an okay job. That sounds blasphemous because it is. 
I could probably get through it. I might even preach it rightly. There's some natural gifting there, perhaps. But I forget that whatever is used of God in that gifting is, is the gift, the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching. So I could be presumptuous and not prepare, which would drive me crazy. I'd be so anxious to preach, I couldn't stand it. It's a nightmare I have, you know. I had dreamed about it last night. I couldn't find the passage of Scripture in my Bible. I was standing in the pulpit and couldn't find Matthew 17. And my dream just went on and on and on, so I'm really tired this morning. So don't worry, I'm, I'm going to prepare. Um, but I think sometimes maybe we could be presumptuous about maybe our things we, we've been gifted to do for the Lord. Uh, and we, plan, we can plan things really good and, and that we're doing as a church family or even to reach people as individuals. Um, or, you know, we, we could do that as a Sunday school teachers. You know, we could, well, I'm just going to wing it this morning. Um, I've been there, done that, and wished I hadn't. And it may get through it, and because it's God's word, it may, it's God's word, right? God's word's powerful. Paul rejoiced in Philippians even when people preach the gospel for wrong motives because God's word's powerful, amen? But if we try to do things for the Lord and expect him to use it, we got another thing coming if we're not leaning upon him as we should, if we're being presumptuous. So attempting to serve God, planning things for God, doing things for the Lord, doing things that we've been gifted to do, maybe we do it all the time, yet not reminding ourselves that it's not I, but Christ in me. Then we're setting ourselves up for failure and probably hurting the people we're seeking to minister to because we have no intrinsic power. If we're to be used of God to advance God's kingdom, we must remind ourselves we have no intrinsic power. Anything good in us, any gifting we have, any planning we do, it must be from the Lord. We must depend upon him. And we must confess maybe our presumptuous nature or even our fear to do what the Lord would have us do because he has all power and he can do all things. Which leads me to the second biblical conviction and Christ-centered conviction we need to have if we're to be used of God to extend his kingdom. The first one is we have no intrinsic power. The second is there are no impossible obstacles. With God, there are no impossible obstacles to extending his kingdom. And that last part is key. I want you to look at verse 18. And I note you will notice what Jesus did. Despite the disciples' twisted and perverted faith, indistinguishable from among crowds, their little faith, their poor quality of faith, what did Jesus do in verse 18? What's your Bible say? He still healed the boy. Still did it. It was his will still, and he saw to it that it happened. And his kingdom was extended through that. People got to see a wit the, the, the kingdom exalted and extended through that. The kingdom advanced through the healing of the boy, but it just didn't happen through the disciples. It was seemingly impossible for that to happen, yet it happened because Christ is who he is and he can do all things. And he will do what he wills with or without us. Ultimately, he will do it. It will happen. But that should not lead us to fatalism. It should break our hearts 
that we would be bypassed and sit on the sidelines and think we're serving the Lord when in fact we're leaning upon our own selves. So back where I'm from in East Tennessee, there's a mountain behind mom and dad's house called Lone Mountain. You know why they call it Lone Mountain? Well, it's by itself. It ain't lonely, it's just there by itself. Now, right in front of mom and dad's house, there's a bunch of mountains. There's Flat Fork and Chimney Top and Frozen Head State Park is all in there. There's several mountains right in there. There's names for all of them. Chimney, or I've mentioned that already. But anyway, the Lord Jesus says here, if I was to go up to Lone Mountain, if I had enough faith, I could say to Lone Mountain behind mom and dad's house, Lone Mountain, don't be lonely anymore. Go over there to Chimney Top. Go over there to Flat Fork. And don't be lonely or if I read in Matthew chapter 22 when you see about the fig tree drying up, the Lord Jesus and the disciples are amazed by that. I could say Mount Carmel, and I wonder why in the world called, man, I'm from East Tennessee. We got mountains. Mount Carmel, come on now. That's like a bump. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be insulting, but you know. But Jesus said you could say this Mount Cast in the Sea. I could say Mount Carmel, be cast in the Wabash River. And it had happened. Would that extend God's kingdom? We don't, we don't see those type of things, the Lord doing those type of just uh, seemingly purposeless miracles and feats. So what we have here is a metaphor when he says, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved. What he's saying is, then he says it later, actually, he says at the end of verse 21, and it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you. He's saying to them, there is nothing impossible to advancing the kingdom of God. The reason they've been giving, given the gift to cast out demons was what? To extend the kingdom of God. So keeping all this in context, the whole gospel of Matthew in context is about, the, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand and the disciples are being used to manifest the reality that Christ's kingdom is at hand. Keeping it in context then, the Lord's going to work for his glory to extend his kingdom. And so the metaphor is here, there is nothing impossible that exists in the universe to stand in the way of his kingdom being extended. Nothing. His kingdom will be extended. Jesus said earlier in Matthew 16, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is no obstacle and of course, this is supposed to increase our faith and, and lead us to say, yes, use us, Lord. So despite their faith, Jesus had went ahead and healed this boy. We're seeing that there really are no impossible obstacles to advancing God's kingdom. Any mountain that needs to be moved, whether that's a demon-possessed boy or whatever it might be, will be moved with or without these disciples. He will do it. He will advance his kingdom. Our own death or the death, early death of a friend is not the way we would choose to advance his kingdom. But if that should happen, understand, he is advancing his kingdom. He is advancing his kingdom. Whether the demon-possessed boy is healed, if he's healed, it's God's will. If he's not healed, it was not in his plan to heal him to advance his kingdom. Because our God is sovereign and he will do his work. 
As Brother Tim in Sunday school was mentioning this morning, I quoted you, Tim, in my notes here. <laughs> God is all-powerful and good. And we get that mixed up a lot. He is all-powerful and he is good. And that's where our faith must lie. That's where a strong faith comes is resting in the sovereignty of God and his goodness. So, did Miles Paris, did I have enough faith? I wonder about that, and I think there was no doubt in my mind God could heal Miles Paris. I had no doubt that Jesus could do that. Did I believe God would do it? I don't know. I, di I didn't know if he would or not. And so, the false teaching comes in as saying, well, if you're not sure he's going to do it or not, then... You're responsible for him not being healed because you, had, you weren't sure he was going to do it. And the Lord Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not what my I will, but you will. And we see places in Scripture like this where we submit ourselves to the will of God. We don't name and claim miracles. I thought about this, and I thought about Jim and Jackie, uh, which are a couple serving in Sarajevo, Bosnia, who've been there for 20 years, and uh, they've seen very little fruit in their ministry. Is that because they have a weak faith? Are they not seeing many people come to Christ because their faith is weak? And so they stay there year after year after year and do the same work, but they're, oh, bless their hearts, if their faith was just stronger, if they really believed, that they really believed, they'd see more people coming into the kingdom. Well, I think that is not the case. In fact, I know it's not. In fact, in an email I received from them this week, they said, what keeps us here is our biblical convictions regarding the goodness and sovereignty of God. That there is no mountain impossible for God to move. If he wills for these to come into his kingdom, they will come. And we want to be part of his work What I want you to see in that, I think what we're meant to see here is Jesus healed this boy. Is, folks, God is going to do his work. The question is, to what extent are we going to be part of it? And sure, we can be guilty of having a weak faith in Jesus. That's obvious from the text. We can be presumptuous. We can be prayerless like the disciples. You notice verse 21 in the ESV translation is left out. There's a footnote maybe for it. In some of your translations, it may be that way. That's because in the original manuscripts, the most, the, the, the most recent ones uh, that have been discovered, which are dated the oldest, didn't have that. But if you look in Mark chapter 9, it still does talk about prayer and fasting. So it was probably added later because they knew Mark had observed Jesus, you know, no doubt that Mark understood this. And Luke at the same time both said something about prayer. That this, this happens by prayer. So it could be our own prayerlessness or our own presumption about our giftedness and ability that leads to our prayerlessness, pride that we need to resist daily. But despite me, God will do his work just not through me. And I don't want that to be the case though. I want God to use me. I think of that quote we looked at this morning what the world's yet to see what God will do with your woman fully consecrated him I, I want to by God's grace to be used by God I don't want him to bypass me he's going to do his work but he's just not going to use me right 
I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to, I don't want to sit on bench. I don't want to just take up space. So when by his grace, what we need to understand, when I am being faithful to do his kingdom work, depending on him like I should, it shouldn't lead me to despair and conclude that when something tragic happens or doesn't happen the way I think it should, that it's all my fault. That if I've been depending upon the Lord, the best I know how, I've been acting by praying for someone to be healed or praying for somebody to be saved, then I should not think if I don't see that happen, it's due to my lack of faith at that point. He'll move the mountains, save the souls, heal the sick. He'll do it in accordance with his will for his own glory. What I need to do is pray for God to move the mountain for his glory. Again, point number two here, folks. A Christ-centered conviction we must have if we understand who Christ is, if we have a strong faith in Christ, is there is no impossible obstacle to advancing his kingdom. So anything we see, anybody, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a loved one that you're very concerned about in their prodigalness or their lostness, and you wonder if they're ever going to come to Christ, if they're ever going to repent. It seems like a mountain in front of you. You've tried, and you wonder, Lord, maybe it's me. Maybe they've not gotten saved. Maybe you've not repented because it's me. I'm doubting or whatever. And part of the time, I think it's just the old devil trying to, guilt you over things like that but keep crying out to God quit keep assessing your faith ask God to increase your faith but most importantly turn your turn your eyes toward Christ and, and pray God save them you can do this I'm praying I'm asking you to do it and pray that God will move the mountain for his glory if somebody needs to be healed delivered from drugs whatever mountain is in front of you pray for God to do it Pray, do what will most glorify you and extend your kingdom. So I think about this quote again this morning from D.L. Moody. The world is yet to see what God can do through one man fully consecrated to him. By God's grace, I aim to be that man. I would say the world will never see what God will do through one man fully consecrated to him because there's never going to be a man who walks perfectly on this earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one fully consecrated to God. And we notice what Jesus reminds the disciples of in verse 22. Look at your Bible in verse 22 again. He says again, it's almost like he's obsessed with going to the cross. He says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man's about to be delivered into the hands of men and they'll kill him and he'll be raised on the third day. And because of their little faith, they're greatly distressed by that. They don't understand the purpose of the cross. They don't understand the power of the resurrection and all that's about to take place. But this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully committed to the father, will go to the cross. He will lay down his life. And what will happen? What will the world see or what will the world should see because one man, Jesus Christ, has been fully committed to the Father. That anybody in the world will be saved. That the most tragic thing that could ever happen to anyone has been taken care of by the one fully committed to the Father. Praise God for the man. Praise God for the man God, Jesus Christ. For the one 
full of faith in God because he is God. And Jesus says to the crowd, how long am I to be with y'all? You ever say that, think that towards people? How long am I got to put up these folks? How long am I going to bear with you? But he does. He does. He bears with them. In fact, he bears their sins all the way to the cross. I love the passage. I think it's John 14. The Bible says he loved them. He loved them to the end. <laughs> this God is a patient God, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. May we be the means and not on the sidelines. May we be the means through which God would use to bring many into the kingdom of God, knowing that our power does not come from ourselves, but relies upon, is derived from him. May we seek him in prayer and depend upon him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one fully committed to you. Even though he knew perfectly what was going to happen, he didn't go a different way. He even prayed, if there's another way, let it be, but nevertheless not my will but yours be done. Father, he went all the way so he might do the hardest thing for us to take care of the greatest need we could possibly ever have by being our substitute on the cross for our sins. So Father, I pray this morning that as we think about circumstances and hurricanes and death and financial troubles and marital relationships and prodigal grandchildren and whatever it is that's on our hearts, Father, I pray that I pray you increase our faith as we remember the cross. We remember the resurrection. We remember what we've sung about this morning. And we've been reminded of in your word. And Father, use us for your glory. I pray that there's someone here that's not a believer in Jesus, not been born again, that you would bring them to Christ. Father, use us who are believers to point people to Christ. Work through us, God. Extend your kingdom through us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's stand this morning together as we sing. And if you'd like to come and pray about anything at all, I'd like to pray with you or talk with you. And, uh, or you can come and pray by yourself here at front if you'd like. But you come as God speaks and, and uh, let's sing together. What a gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give He is my joy My righteousness and freedom My steadfast love My deep and boundless peace To this I hold 
My hope is only Jesus For my life is wholly bound to His Oh, how strange and divine I can sing All is mine, yet not I But through Christ in me The night is dark But I am not forsaken For by my side The Savior, He will stay I labor on In weakness and rejoicing For in my need His power is displayed Through this I hope My shepherd will defend me Through the deepest valley He will lead Oh, the night has been won And I shall overcome Yet not I, but through Christ in me No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus For He has said that He will bring me home And day by day, I know He will renew me Until I stand with joy before the throne through this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus All the glory evermore to you When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat Yet not I, but through Christ 
in me Yet not I But through Christ In me Well thank you so much for being here with us this morning One of our deacons, Brandon Cott Is going to come and close us in prayer today I'm going to be standing at the back doors on your way out If I haven't had a chance to meet you before I'd love that opportunity or chat with any of you If you've got questions about anything we've talked about this morning Preached about or you about your relationship with the Lord, be sure and get my attention. I'd love to, love to talk with you about that. Be sure and pick up the information about our sportsman's dinner to pass out in the community. Pick up some tickets, sign up, uh, bring wild game and desserts. There's a table right there sitting behind you that you can sign up for on your way out this morning. Brother Brandon, would you close us in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for who you are. Just as Pastor said, just as the Bible tells us, you are all-powerful. You are in control of everything. You are good. Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, let us go out this week um, with that in mind, Lord, that we would have faith, that we'd have great faith that you can do all things, Lord, that your will will be accomplished, Lord, as we see things in our lives and around us that we don't, we don't like and we don't understand. Lord, help us to be reminded that you are in control, you are sovereign, that you will work things out for your good, for the good of your people, for your purposes. Lord, I pray that as we read our Bibles, that as we pray, that as we um, lift each other up in accountability, that we would just be, Lord, reminded of what you did on the cross, and uh, Lord, that we can lean on you in every situation. Lord, may we go out now to our workplaces, um, to this community, to those who are um, suffering, to those who um, just need your love. Lord, help us to be bold and to speak the gospel, Lord, to tell them about Christ and what he's done on the cross for them. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life.
The Gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.